Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to another beautiful summer week from our great state. And we have our full panel with us, which is fabulous. Which means also Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action. Claire, great to have you. Thank you. Great to see you. Yeah, I'm in the office today with Brian, our producer. Very exciting, but good to see you safely from your home. We also have Robert Craig, the Executive Director at Citizen Action. Robert, also great to see you. Greetings to both our radio and our digital audience. Well, it's great to have you both, and uh, it's always great to have our listeners. But uh, we got a busy week. We got a ton of stuff to talk about here at the state level. As we mentioned last week, uh, after we talked about the big uh, ACA news from the Supreme Court, and we talked about the fact that Joint Finance Committee wrapped up last week. That means the state budget is heating up and we have much to talk about. In fact, huge news this week, Citizen Action, we have launched a campaign uh, urging the governor to actually veto this budget uh, in its entirety. Uh, Claire, one of the major reasons we at Citizen Action believe that this budget should be vetoed is how bad it is on healthcare, and in particular, the fact that it doesn't even at its most basic accept the federal money for Badger Care. Tell us more about uh, this decision and why this is so important and uh, what we're uh, asking of the governor. Yeah, we know we've been talking about this for a really long time now, for months and months. And so everything I have to say should not be a surprise to folks. Um, But 2021 is a particularly good year to accept Badger Care expansion, not just for the financial reasons of serving the budget, excuse me, uh, but also for the health of the people of Wisconsin, right? There's still a global pandemic happening, even as um, we approach half of Wisconsinites who are eligible being vaccinated. There are still a lot of people who are not vaccinated in the state. I would I would point towards the largest population of folks, which is children under the age of 12. And so we, we are still living in a time when having um, affordable, high quality health coverage for Wisconsinites is really important. And uh, there's still a sizable number of people whose uh, work and whose coverage has not uh, bounced back from the early effects of the um, economic decline at the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, there was just a, a report on the federal level that was released that said that Medicaid enrollment across the state skyrocketed during the pandemic, which just backs up what we have been saying for the last year, which is that um, Badger Care expansion is critical to addressing the health and economic effects of the pandemic. And so, this budget by by not accepting Badger Care expansion um, not only loses out on a tremendous amount of revenue to the tune of over a billion dollars in the biennium, um, but also does nothing to um, help help these folks who are you know vulnerable working Wisconsinites, um, and so voting against 
the budget and the governor using his veto pen to make a statement saying, you know, this isn't good enough for the people of Wisconsin. And um, this is not aligned with my values as an elected official is we think the least that um, our, our elected leaders could do to keep this fight for badge care expansion going. Robert. I'm not even going to give reasons to Battleground Wisconsin's audience why this is absurd public policy and dangerous, damaging public policy. It's paying a great deal more, uh, billions more and counting, if you count the previous budgets, to cover fewer people. And I think this audience knows that there's a lot of things we need to make investments in in this state. And we need a lot more health care, a lot more than just getting up to the Affordable Care Act level of Medicaid. But that's just a start. In a way, our problem on our side is we've made that everything when it's not, when the entire health care system is unaffordable for people with private insurance and a lot of other people who are not affected by badger care. Now, the question, though, is with the federal government giving a huge, even bigger inducement within the American Rescue Plan, a billion more, it's over 1.5 billion total that we're giving away, and doing that for the other 14 non-expansion states, none of them have moved. The only one that passed it in one house is Wyoming, and it was killed in the, in the upper house in Wyoming. Wyoming, of all places, had the most progress. So it's, the bigger question is, why is the modern variant of Republican uh, so irrational? Because a Tommy Thompson version of the Republican Party would have taken the money originally. And it is because we have a party here that is authoritarian in its orientation, is, has an ideology that is not equipped for the 21st century. They simply don't want any use of public power to do things like guarantee people's health care, which is the only way people are going to have affordable health care in this country. It just is. The market ain't going to do it. The market's interested in what will create the biggest profit, period, including the, for, the nonprofit hospital systems that operate very much like their prescription drug pharmaceutical companies or, or other for-profit entities. And so they don't believe in it. The other problem is they're full of big lies. They just tell propaganda. Their arguments against it are inconsistent, which is the tell that it's not, it's not about that, that they have no respect for their own audience. And they use a lot of dog whistles like welfare, which, of course, reflects undeserving people, either undeserving white people or black and brown people. Uh, and so as if that's your fault, that you don't have a job that provides health insurance coverage, which is more and more the case that you can afford or exist at all. And let alone we're giving away money and revenue left and right. This isn't the only way. So frankly, we just need to defeat them. And the question is, since they use every single ounce of their power, every single ounce and over, over that, the one piece of power the governor has is to veto. So the question is, whether you want to veto the budget and risk them doing even more damage to the state because they're holding it hostage, saying, then we'll just leave it us without a budget and the cuts will be worse. Uh, but if you veto, you create a crisis and you take it to the voters. If you don't veto, then it's all merged and confusing and gray to voters. And this legislature gets to perpetuate itself, especially if it can gerrymander the maps, but even if it can't or can't as effectively. 
Yeah, this strikes me as a particularly critical time, I would say, for Governor Evers' leadership in terms of laying that out. Uh, I think there were a lot of folks who were a bit surprised uh, last budget cycle when uh, there were no, there was not a veto or any sort of effort to do things both around education funding back then, but also Badger Care was huge. And the education funding situation, we don't have time to get in detail, is abomination and is, uh, you know, it's definitely putting money at risk. Uh, It's, you know, awful on many levels. Uh, So in many ways, this is a power test, Robert. You talked about the Republicans used every bit of power. Question here is, is, you know, what is Evers play in this, especially heading into a gubernatorial election? Claire, I want to get your thoughts uh, also more about kind of what are we doing what can folks do? You know, what are we suggesting folks do if they want to, you know, put pressure on the governor? There are a few things that folks can do if they want to put pressure on the governor and the legislature, I will say, because even if you have Democratic legislators, they still need to hear from you, their constituents, um, that you that you would like them to, um, you know, use their voice and their votes to oppose this terrible budget, right? So um, I want to make it clear that, you know, we, we still have time to try to influence the legislature, including um, Democratic representatives on this. Um, but if you want to, if you want to work with us to um, to try to, you know, influence this last stage of the budget, I would say one: if you know who your local citizen action of Wisconsin organizer is, if you've been in touch with them, um, reach out to that organizer because um, they are um, helping us with a few projects right now around um, getting in contact with the governor uh, to to say, hey, if you were to veto this budget. You know, we would have your back. There is there is support on the ground for this action, um, and then they're also we're also running a, a project to put some pressure on uh, major stakeholders in the healthcare industry. So executives of healthcare systems, executives of hospitals, to say, you know, hey, you have a tremendous amount of influence here in the state, and especially on healthcare issues. Use use your voice and your influence to to tell the legislature this budget isn't acceptable and we need a budget that that has badger care expansion. Um, so we're running a few things here, and and even if you don't want to, if you even if you can't make those contacts through Citizen Action, you know, pick up your phone, call the governor, call your legislator, send an email to the governor and your legislators saying this budget as it stands is unacceptable. Uh, Robert, I want to give you a, one final opportunity to talk on this, but it is worth pointing out the governor himself has. Uh, publicly stated that he is very seriously entertaining this because of how bad this budget is. Robert? Yeah, I don't want to confuse any because our viewers are strongly progressive. The governor is not the target. The problem is the Republicans in the legislature. The question is, we appreciate the governor fighting on this, keeping this front and center, using his bully pulpit. The question is simply, is it time to have a fight over this and over freezing education funding, and uh, which also is unbelievable given the given the, the the situation, the state. So the question is: Is it time to stand and fight and to create a contrast to win elections, or play it safer because they are holding the state hostage and could simply do no budget, and we revert to the last budget, which is much worse in terms of cuts. But if they do that. We run against them on that. So that's the question. And the governor 
has goodwill, but he probably worries about making things turn out well too much when they are acting badly, which allows them to win and get their way. With that, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin New Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're taking a deep look at what's going on here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, first uh, segment, we had a good discussion of our uh, our campaign to really encourage Governor Evers to veto this atrocious Republican state budget. Um, we are going to turn our attention to some other things that have been happening in the state legislature this week. Um, and I also do uh, make want to make sure we have another conversation about uh, this power grab, you know, this just insatiable effort for power that we uh, are seeing play out uh, in our natural resources board. But we'll get to that later. I want to start with a conversation about what the Republicans have been up to on the voter suppression, right? We, uh, we have been big supporters of Senate Bill 1 na- uh, nationally, which we'll talk about later. Uh, uh, had, a, had a 50 uh, uh, a vote this week that failed because of Republican uh, completely, uh, completely being against it. But the Republicans here in our state legislature, we have been talking about this, have been moving very similar efforts to suppress voting. And in particular, a lot of stuff around absentee uh, voting. Robert, I wanted to give you the lead uh, conversation on this uh, because, look, again, this gets into a broader strategy and other things that happened this week, including efforts around gerrymandering. But uh, first on the voter suppression efforts. Well, this is part of a national Republican strategy, and unlike what some pundits say, it did not begin with Donald Trump. Scott Walker was executing it. The gerrymandering in Wisconsin other states of 2011 was part of this strategy. They've made a calculation that to be who they are, to represent business interests and to mobilize uh, white people on grievance and cultural issues, so that they will also vote for a party that actually harms them economically and in every other way, that they cannot win a majority vote in this country anymore. And so this is the, this is a threat to democracy because a, a stable democracy, political scientists who study comparative government believe, requires a conservative party in a country that at least buys into the fact that they can operate within the democratic system and majority rule. And we're the first mature advanced democracy that has lost that. And it's very dangerous. And these are just symptoms. What we see going on in Georgia, in Texas, in Arizona, what we see going on at the national level with the universal, all 50 Republican senators voting against protecting voting rights when their colleagues in the states remove them. We're just operating in this. The governor can veto these things, right? But of course, we have a lot on the book still from Walker that has not been repealed because we have not gotten control of the legislature. So it we can, what we need to do is figure out how to mobilize our base on this issue. And a lot of people don't vote on procedural issues. So we need to connect it to the issues they care about, which are not being addressed. Access to healthcare, good jobs, a climate transition, because we have a legislature that is entirely unaccountable, that has lost popular votes multiple times by a large margin and maintained a supermajority on government and doesn't even act like their minority government, which you'd have in the parliamentary system, acts like we can do everything we want and we are the bosses, even though we got fewer votes 
than the other side, the people be damned. And so they can't do most of this now. It really comes down Wisconsin to the redistricting fight. And it goes down to this. We can invalidate a lot of Scott Walker laws if we can pass Senate Bill 1 or something like it at the federal level. And that's what needs to happen. Those are the places. But we also are going to have to win this re-election for governor. And we're going to need to take back the legislature if we're going to guarantee the right to vote. The one positive thing is the Democratic Party is more unified than it was 10 years ago on this. We had all sorts of Democrats when they had full control that stopped us from doing major voting rights reforms. When we had organized Governor Doyle, a very conservative governor, to support them. Claire. I want to get your thoughts on this, but also throw into the mix as a former school board member. Uh, they're also this week going after efforts to get uh, redistricting to actually occur, which is absolutely critical. Uh, the Senate now this week passed this idea. And by the way, this was uh, worth pointing out. It was author list. Nobody's taking responsibility. Nobody spoke in favor of an effort to essentially allow the gerrymandered maps of 2010 to continue uh, through the 2022 elections. Claire, uh, this is uh, really quite a headache for local officials, and it is a catastrophe for democracy. Yeah, so just to give folks an idea uh, before we start talking about the, the gerrymandering maps shenanigans, um, but just to give folks an idea of what the bills that were passed um, this past week do around uh, voter suppression um, under sort of the guise of quote common sense reforms, um, they they just create a um, significantly greater administrative burden on uh, voters and on people who administer elections. And it's possible that individually, every single one of these things would um, only affect a, you know, a, a minority of folks. Um, but taken together, the, you know, dozen or so of these reforms, um, you know, carve away at a at the voting rights of a sizable uh, population of folks. Um, so things like absentee ballots can only be returned by a voter, immediate family, family member or guardian, right? So, um, you know, if I, if I were somebody who was, you know, older and, um, you know, was widowed and, you know, my children lived out of state and I, I couldn't ask my neighbor to, you know, walk my absentee ballot to the mailbox when they were going, right? Um, things like um, also prohibiting election officials from filling in missing address information on envelopes, right? So if I like forgot to write my zip code on my voting envelope um, or like forgot to put the city or something, but like obviously my city clerk knew what city it was in, they couldn't write it in, um, which, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no reason why the validity of that, um, that vote should be in question um, because of such a thing, right? So th these are like little actions that that you know chip away a vote here, chip away a vote there, um, and are clearly targeted at people who are most likely to vote by mail, um, which are Democratic um, voters. To get at Robert's point, um, then to your point about using um, old maps, right? The uh, the state has known for, I mean, the entire country has known for a decade, right, <laughs> that uh, redrawing maps was coming. Um, but it has been a narrative um, and a point of public discussion in Wisconsin for the last several years that, um, you know, drawing these maps um, 
this year was going to be a, a really big deal. And folks have been gearing up and running this fair maps campaign for years. And now that it's actually here, you can tell that Republicans are, are panicking and are trying to do everything they can to hold on to their current maps for even one more election, right? And, um, you know, even one more round of, of spring elections of local elections. And I, I, if I were still a local elected official, like, I would be very concerned about that. Um, not just because of how it would affect potentially, um, you know, my my own race and sort of the the ripple effect down the line of, of all of the other sort of races and ter elected terms uh, thereafter for the next decade, um, but also sort of the slippery slope effect of how, like, what does that mean for elections um, later in the year? And, and does this open the door for um, delaying redistricting in other races as well? Yeah, no. And I want to just uh, quote one of our co-op members and uh, also uh, the, uh, the director of the Fair Election Project, Sachin Chetta, pointed out that a fair, transparent, bottom-up redrawing process can be accomplished in weeks. But the legislator, legislative Republicans would rather put our election timeline at risk here in Wisconsin and unconstitutionally deprive Wisconsinites of their right to vote, right? He's very clearly uh, laying out here, Robert, that um, this has nothing to do with timeline. This can be done it's June, still June uh, of uh, 2021. Uh, Robert, we know what this is really about. Well, Sachin, who's a co-op member of Citizen Action Wisconsin, uh, is correct. Uh, here's the difference. If you want fair maps, absolutely. If you want to figure out exactly how to gerrymander your own control with computer models and every piece of data you can purloin in the world and pay lawyers millions of dollars to do it, that, that takes longer, Matt. That's a, that's a big project to game that out. So that is, that's what's going on here. It's good Claire laid all this out, but when you're advocating, because we have an audience of advocates here at Battleground Wisconsin, don't get caught in the details. Remember that Jim Crow laws did not say, oh, black people can't vote. They put forward, and they couldn't constitutionally, they put forward a whole lot of seemingly neutral tests that seemed reasonable. And of course, they're all backed up by the big lie that our elections are being, that there's a whole lot of election fraud. There isn't. It's a big lie. And in fact, they're just finding by nickel and diming the process to death, all sorts of ways to disenfranchise people. The biggest group who is against this, who will they, dis they will disenfranchise, are people with disabilities, and their very nonpartisan groups are speaking up and being ignored. But, and you know what? When they vote, it's very hard for them to vote. They tend not to vote for the Robin Bosses of the world because they need positive role for government in order to live independent, fulfilling lives. And we need to take a break. Here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about what is going on here in Wisconsin politically in our state legislature. Uh, last week, the Joint Finance Committee wrapped up um, their basically horrible budget. 
Uh, we started the show by discussing that uh, Citizen Action is calling for Governor Evers to veto the budget, not only for Badger Care, but a number of things that we've talked about over the last, uh, oh, say five months. Um, but uh, and want to encourage folks, reach out to the governor's office, let them know uh, we really need his leadership right now. Um, but we got to get back to what's going on in Madison and uh, want to talk about this discussion that is, I mean, absolutely eye-opening as it re relates to race, as it relates to power, the power of um, you know certain geographies, and then the arrogance of people assuming they know what it's like uh, in places they don't live. Uh, all kinds of discussions, and it's all around a bill this week that legislative Republicans uh, uh, voted on, uh, which essentially cuts your ability, your city, your municipality's ability to get your shared revenue funding if you do anything that cuts police funding. Claire, this is clearly a direct shot at Milwaukee, Madison, or any community that dare think about what the proper balance might be between, say, police, fire, and a whole bunch of other services that municipalities are required to provide. Claire? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just another example of uh, Republican legislators um, sort of carrying out the phenomenon that Robert has repeatedly described about um, not actually living up to what their own political values are supposed to be and um, serving ideology over um, the sort of role that they're supposed to play in government. Um, and in this case, that is meddling in local affairs um, when purportedly they're supposed to be interested in local control. And, you know, that I think is, is one huge takeaway um, outside of even talking about, uh, you know, whether it's, it's right or, um, or wrong for local governments to be evaluating their spending commitments to police forces, um, and so and so I think that is that's something that's worth holding on to um, on its on its own. And I would say, you know, secondly, this is obviously just another another bill that is aimed. Um, I would say not only at um, you know cities like you know, Milwaukee and other urban areas around the state that are reevaluating um, how they administer safety services. Um, and, and, and as we've talked about on this show, um, you know, cutting, cutting police officers and um, changing police budgets is not always just about uh, you know, reducing the number of police is often about reevaluating how the services that the police currently administer could be better administered in other parts of um, city government and city budgets. Um, and so, so this bill also does not take into account um, that like maybe some of these services are continuing, but just continuing in, in another fashion, right? And so it has really a, a myopic um, view of budgets um, that are happening at the at the municipal level. Robert, I'll, I'll let Robert give us the fiery <laughs> ideological speech. <laughs> Robert. Okay, you have to take a step back and understand the revenue context in this state. There was a social compact between state government and local government that there would be shared revenue that would adequately fund public services. That's back 40 years ago 
when we actually believed in having high quality public services. What the state has done, starting with Tommy Thompson, it was actually continued by Jim Doyle, so it's bipartisan, is to, by various mechanisms, starve local governments for resources, cap what they can raise on revenue, and they have far fewer options they do in many other states, but then cut off the revenue from the state, and then turn around and blame them for deteriorating streets, for everything that comes with not having the money for a public sector and give the money away to corporate Wisconsin and to the wealthiest. That is the deal. And the Republicans have been more extreme than Democrats, but it's not like any Democrat has run on reversing that. And so within that context, of course, you have the fight for racial and social justice and unequal policing. And look, we're not ready just to have no police. That would be a long process, right? It was a rallying cry of activists, in part because there's nothing else really on the table, in part because we need to create some standard for mainline Democrats and Republicans to what it means to be serious about our mass incarceration system, where we have on an historical basis and on a world basis right now, incarcerated more people than any other country in the world. And it's not made us safer, and it's done tremendous damage to lives and to our economy continues to. The drug war on drugs is part of that. It's not all of that. And over-policing uh, low-income marginalized communities rather than helping them give, be given real access to the American dream with money that could have been used to do that. And there's no doubt that with the starving of revenue at the local level, what happens is because of the political leverage and the big lie that the only thing that improves safety is police and that police equals safety, which is what you're hearing from them, they've gobbled up the remaining resources, 46% of Milwaukee, city of Milwaukee's budget, and therefore all the other things you would do that are nonviolent. It's very much like right-wing Israeli governments that have put everything in the military and they have no other solutions to the social divide, which is understandable between Palestinians and Israelis over land. And so what ends up happening is the only solution you do have is police, and you keep perpetuating this, and you become a military state that is racially coded. In Milwaukee, most of the people that were arrested for curfew during the George Floyd uh, protests were African-American, even though tons of young white people participated. Most of the people uh, that were ticketed or arrested for violating the stay-at-home orders in the pandemic were black people. This is, you can reproduce this to everything. There is completely different level of policing. It's, it's completely horrendous to be low income and black in America and in Wisconsin. And they're setting it up so any government that tries to rebalance spending in a way that would actually deal with substance abuse, mental health, right, poverty, will be punished and have even more money cut from their budgets when in fact they've already been strangled financially and for revenue for decades. And they've made it worse in the last decade, even worse. For, for anyone who doubted what this uh, debate was about, all they need to do is read the article in the Wisconsin Examiner by Isaiah Holmes, uh, who, by the way, I want to give a shout out to another Citizen Action Media project. And that is This Is Not That podcast that features Isaiah Holmes, also uh, Raphael Smith and uh, Joanna Bouch from Citizen Action fantastic uh, podcast uh, that discusses a number of topics. It also spent time uh, talking with David Bowen, 
this week about this very topic and about Joe Sanfilippo and uh, his call to militarize. We discussed it last week, um, Milwaukee. But this debate around the funding of police really brought up all of uh, the sort of fear mongering around the city of Milwaukee and huge back and forth between uh, the Milwaukee delegation and uh, what really was a suburban uh, uh, Milwaukee uh, delegation for making all kinds of horrific accusations about, you know, what's going on in the city. As someone who lives in the city, when I read what they say is just, it, it's, it, it's mind boggling and, 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 and blows my mind that anyone could make such awful comments about a place that quite frankly, they live like 10, 10 minutes from, right. And they, they need, <laughs> we all need each other, right. Uh, collective good. And Robert, before we go to break, I, I want to get you to comment on one final thing that sort of shows all of this kind of problem around revenue resources. Uh, this week, it, there was a lot of discussion about the Republicans and what appears to be some level of bipartisan effort to get rid of uh, the business uh, personal tax. Tell our listeners more before we go to break. Yes. One of the very few revenue sources local governments have is a tax it's a fairly modest tax on personal uh, on on business equipment, and it's not all business equipment. We pay it. It says in Action of Wisconsin on our copier and things like that. And it's about two point six percent of Milwaukee's budget. They're going to eliminate that because all tax cuts are great, uh, according to them. And then they're going to fill the hole with their with the surplus that that exists in this budget. But just like with education, where there have been promises the state will pay two-thirds and then it doesn't and, and strangle the school districts, they are not putting anything in place that says that it's a commitment by the state beyond this budget. They refuse to, to fund it. So this is another attempt to strangle local governments for revenue just to help business interests who don't need it because this is not – I don't. there's no testimony, nothing. This is an onerous tax, right? It's, uh, but it does add up. And if you're not going to create other revenue sources for local government to guarantee state revenue to fill the hole permanently, how the heck can you remove it from the from the code permanently? So I don't think this is necessarily a very well-structured tax, but let's face it, businesses don't play their fair share and they've cut it, found every other way to cut business taxes as well. As we know, we haven't reversed that. And Democrats aren't strong enough on this, folks. They, uh, they, and some Democrats actually go ahead and support this and, and hope, like hoping for rain. That 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 the, the commitment will there'll be a commitment to keep it up, budget after budget. Yeah, if you're paying attention to what we're experiencing in the legislature, that is <laughs> exactly. With that, we got to take a break here. Welcome back, to the battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Um, before we get to our next topic, I do just want to point out to our listeners that uh, Robin Voss is a, if you didn't know this, not only does he sell popcorn, but he is a renowned economist. And he announced this week that the increased unemployment that folks who have been devastated by the pandemic, regular working folks, you know, I like maybe even some of his employees, uh, that that uh, uh, increased unemployment is causing an increase in crime. So there you have it, folks. Uh, that is who is leading uh, the state assembly. But uh, I want to focus our attention on something that we have mentioned before, 
and it has really come to a head this week. And that is related to um, what has been going on, again, in the endless effort for power. Um, Republicans who sit on a number of uh, boards are, are not stepping down from boards until, quote, the Senate confirms the Evers appointees. And of course, we know what the Senate has been doing. And uh, there's a particularly now public case of the Natural Resources Board. We mentioned it. Uh, that chairman has refused to step down. And this week, it got a tremendous amount of press at a public event uh, where there were tremendous, uh, huge protests uh, and a large number of groups and uh, different uh, organizations actually even came out publicly saying that this was an abomination of democracy. Um, Claire, Robert, um, Robert, I'll give you first on this, but this again, right, like this gets to some just fundamentals of people's ability to trust our, uh, our form of democracy and how that seems to be in question, Robert. So, look, I mentioned earlier, and I've mentioned very often, that this uh, virulent brand of conservative that can fully controls the Republican Party takes every piece of power it can, it can possibly get and holds on to it and exercises it ruthlessly. So on the one side, you have a legislature in an unprecedented way refusing to confirm most of the governor's appointees. Uh, this is unprecedented. Uh, it, 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 it's a complete breakdown in any kind of civility or, or, or common understanding of how government works. There's no law against it because no one assumed the legislature would act in this fashion in the history of the state. That's how bad they are. But now, because they're not confirming Governor Evers' replacements, and this is the most well-known right now, the Natural Resources Board, it's by far not the only one, a number of these right-wing hacks are holding on to their seats because there's a quirk in law that says that you can you can serve until your replacement takes office, but your replacement can't take office if the Republicans in the legislature won't confirm them. And believe me, uh, Governor Evers is not appointing a bunch of bomb throwers. You know what? Even if he was, this is unprecedented. So let's not say if we actually someday elect a very progressive governor that that this would be okay. Uh, because we certainly got a lot of right-wing troglodytes under Walker and the Democrats did not oppose them if they were qualified because that's the uh, comity that is expected to make government even function, any kind of democratic and smaller Republican government. And so this guy's become a lightning rod because even conservative voters are conser purplish, like the what we call it, the hook and bullet crowd, people are into hunting and fishing and the like. Um, are find it outrageous and affront to democracy. Hopefully, all those folks understand this is only one of many affronts to democracy, and that they will vote for the only party, the Democratic Party, which is a very broad Big Ten coalition between progressives and moderates, but it's the only one that actually stands for the tradition of democracy in this country and preserving it right now. And that's outrageous, and that's not hyperbole, that's not propaganda. It's just a reasonable interpretation of the facts. Claire? Uh, yes, I agree. I, I think there's not much more point beating sort of uh, this issue, but uh, I will say it shows that democracy exists at 
every um, levels, even sort of pseudo-governmental levels, like a board about natural resources, right? Like it's not even an agency of its own. It's not even an elected body of its own, right? Like it is just a sort of, you know, governmental appointed body, right? And it's still important to preserve democracy at that level. And, a, and it shows that at the core of the democratic process is the peaceful transfer of power. And there can be an absence in the peaceful transfer of power and authority, even at such a small level of you know, governance body. We need to be diligent in, in fighting to preserve uh, the democratic process. And that's not just voting, as we talked about earlier. It's also about, like I said, the transfer of power at every level. Yeah, Claire, I, I just want to underscore what you just said. Um, if you folks, if you read the Journal Sentinel article on this, we'll have it in the links. Um, first of all, it reads almost like an editorial because it is, you know, in, you could just say purely journalistic uh, objectivity, appalling what's going on. And, and the article conveys that just a sense that this is violating the golden rule, violating basic sense of democracy. And it talks about how highly functional this board is in that it has a deep history of six-year staggered terms that people come in and out, and that's the beauty of it. And there's a real sense of service and commitment to like something that's fundamentally critical to our state, right? Our natural resources. And so it is actually powerful uh, what's going on amongst what I would describe as a very nonpartisan effort to just call this behavior out for what it is and how it sort of violates just sort of the basic um, fundamentals of how our democracies, a democracy ought to, ought to function. And so kudos to all the folks who have been doing that. And, and the organizations, by the way, that represent over 18,000 uh, folks. Um, so this is actually getting out and hopefully people are starting to pay attention to some of these core small D things that are being violated in the name of power in the state. Before we go this week, we have got to talk a little bit about what happened in Congress this week around Senate Bill 1. And again, I'll remind our listeners, that's the For the People Act. And this is the basic stuff around protecting our democracy that we've been talking about, all the shenanigans that have been going on in states to try to restrict democracy. Uh, Claire, big news is uh, all 50 Democrats in the Senate voted for it, supported. That means Manchin moved in in full support, but it was held up by the Republicans again. Claire, your thoughts and where does this leave us? So the, the moderately decent, not even good piece of news is that um, the uh, U.S. Senate Democrats were able to sort of show a united front on this issue, um, right? All of these um, moderate or conservative leaning members of the party fell in line and voted in support of this bill. Um, but of course, this points to the greater structural issue that we've been talking about for months and that um, Robert is particularly uh, passionate about, uh, which is that this you know, quote, filibuster rule um, in the Senate is standing in the way of the progress that the American people need. Um, and passing this bill that would um, reestablish some important voting rights 
um, is particularly important right now as states across the country, like Wisconsin, um, but but in almost every state in this in this country, are passing um, bills that restrict voting rights and that even some of the last pieces of the uh, 1960s Voting Rights Act are being litigated um, in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. So this bill is is timely. It's incredibly important, and the filibuster is the thing that's standing in its way. Robert. That they voted for is they all voted to have a debate. So the moderate Democrats didn't even necessarily vote for the bill. What the moderate Democrats have not committed to is actually doing the only thing that could pass the bill, which is to modify the filibuster. You could keep some version, okay? It just can't be what we have now because Republicans, the modern virulent, has weaponized it so that it's applied to every piece of legislation, not occasional legislation. For 80 years, it was only applied to civil rights legislation for black people, which was horrible, but everything else really was not subjected to. So, but here's the thing. If you want anything in Biden's agenda that's serious, right, that is structural reform on climate, on racial equity, on health care, on caregiving, uh, you name it, on immigration reform, you cannot get it with a filibuster in place as it is, period. So the, the function of structures is to create certain results. There is nothing in the Constitution, nothing essentially good about this filibuster. With a Republican Party like this, you cannot govern with this filibuster. And by the way, you couldn't govern it on civil rights even before that and some other issues, occasional. And you have a structural issue where tax cuts, the biggest for corporations and the wealthy can be done through budget reconciliation. Right-wing judges can get lifetime appointments. That can be done with a majority, but we can't pass basic legislation. We can't do a $15 minimum wage, protect voting rights, protect labor rights and expand them. You name it, prevent a climate catastrophe. So the question is, I have to conclude that the senators, and it's not just Manchin Cinema, they're a bunch of squishy ones that don't really want to say they want to keep the filibuster, but somehow have drunk the Kool-Aid that the Jim Crow Wellick is a good thing and creates good deliberation and results. Look at the results of the Senate the last 10 years and tell me it produces anything. And so that's the question. Do you believe in this stuff or not? Forget about the process. Do you believe in the platform of the Democratic president or are you against it? Apparently they're against it. With that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we want to thank our producer, Brian Wilgood, who makes every Battleground Wisconsin happen. He also makes the new This Is Not That podcast happen. We want to thank him for that. But folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>